right into our experience. Even as we've been in John 15, we've, we've realized that, yes, God is God, but we are weak. And there's a, there's a meekness in the manger. There's, a, there's a, a humility in this setting that reminds us that in redemption, in God's salvation plan, the God of heaven and the person of his Son steps down from heaven into humanity. We call it theologically the incarnation. He became flesh. And the creator of the universe is cradled there in a maiden's arms, born as a baby, seemingly helpless. And he would grow up. And he would live. He would live a perfect human life, made just as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus lives that perfect life. He calls us to follow him, but we say, wait, wait. I'm that human without the God part. I am that humanity without deity. I am just human. And Jesus was human, and yet he was God in the flesh. But you know, Jesus lived in his humanity the same way that you and I do. Yes, without the brokenness, the fallenness of sin, but Jesus did not live by his, what I'll call, divine prerogative. He didn't play the God card and how he faced temptation. The God card he played was the same one you have. It is the Spirit of the Most High is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. John 15 has been telling us that our life is in Christ and that as we, if Jesus is the true vine, and what I described last week, what he was saying there, I'm not sure that I made it clear. What Jesus was saying when he says, I am the true vine, he compared, he's contrasting to that vine that was around the entrance of the temple, this huge golden, golden vine with grapes coming down from it that were as tall as a man huge demonstration. It, it picked up the Old Testament picture that Israel was the vine planted by God and he, he expected fruit. Good fruit. The fruit of righteousness and justice and peace and yet he got rotten fruit instead. Bitter fruit instead. And so Jesus comes along and Jesus says I am the true vine and what he's saying there is the vine to which you will be attached and by which you'll bear fruit. That vine is not the vine of a identification with a group of people. It's not a identification with that temple. It's not identification with a church. If we're going to bear fruit, it's going to be through identification with Christ. That's why he says, abide in me. And when we abide in the vine, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branch, that's John 15, then you'll bear much fruit. Because as a branch, as we believe in Jesus, the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit is that life of the vine that flows through the branch and bears fruit. And you know what? If you have a grapevine, and you have branches attached to that grapevine, at the end of those branches you will find, what? Grapes. That's right. You'll find grapes there. You won't find apples. You won't find cherries. You will find grapes. That's the way it works. Because the, the, the DNA, if I can use that term, in the vine 
flows through the, 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 the life of that vine flows into the branches and bears the fruit that the vine would produce, but not on the vine, in the branch that's you and I. What I said, you and I live by the same prerogative that Jesus did when he stepped into his humanity. When he didn't stop being God. However, he lived a perfect human life as you and I live our lives in dependence upon the Holy Spirit if we have believed in Jesus, if we abide in that vine. And the Spirit will bear His fruit then, and that fruit, guess what? It will look like Jesus. The fruit that God bears in our lives looks like Christ, and the fruit within our lives is to do the work of Christ, the same things that He did, participating in that same work of rescue, salvation, redemption by the Spirit of the living God. This, this humility in the manger, this, this meekness in the manger, that in the midst out of that peasant's poverty, the king of the universe comes and accomplishes God's grandest work. And you thought he couldn't do anything with you. Now, if we're going to bear fruit, there's something we need to know about fruit bearing. There's something we need to be warned about up front. We want to bear fruit. This time of year, we say, God, would you use me? There are people I love. There are people I care about. There are people that I want you to use me to tell the real story about Christmas. Just the facts. God, would you use me? I want to bear fruit. But we find too often that bearing fruit is difficult. It seems out of season. Now, if you get the BP blast, you heard this, so you can tune out for 30 seconds. Now, just 30 seconds. I want you back, okay? So the next 30 seconds, you're free. Go. Okay. If you didn't read the BP Blast, I went down to the farm stall, and I went looking for fresh fruit, and they didn't have any fresh fruit. They had a few old pumpkins laying around. They had Christmas trees for sale. They had no fruit. Something about fruit is out of season. It seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? It seems the fruit that we would want to bear in our lives, fruit that would demonstrate the goodness and the grace of the love and forgiveness of God, we want, to be, we want it seen in us, but it seems out of season. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to bear fruit in a bitter climate, in a, in, a, in, in a cold climate, at a time when it doesn't seem that the environment is ready for fruit bearing. In the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of troubles, how can we bear fruit? You know, Jesus warned his disciples of that. That's the passage I want to get to today. That in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of that fruit, I said that Jesus is the vine, the fruit is from him by believing in him. The fruit that the Spirit produces in us is going to resemble our Savior. But you know what point number three is? The people you care about won't like it. They won't be impressed. That fruit that you long to bear, that likeness of Christ in you is exactly what people around you will not like. We're called to an impossible task. It's an impossible task because the very thing that God says He will do in us is, unless He intervenes, going to make you unpopular to people around you. You believe is that really what the Bible says? Let's turn to John 15. John chapter 15. 
And I'm going to read from verse 18. John chapter 15. And if you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, I like, I like for us to turn to the page and actually look at it. So if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one from the pew in front of you there. I'll be on page 764 of that pew Bible. John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. Jesus is warning his disciples that he's promised you will bear fruit, but watch out. Watch out. He said, because if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. Even things like Christmas programs are frowned upon. Even things like children singing about the Christ, the Savior of the world, are frowned upon. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. You belong to him by faith in Jesus. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, Jesus says. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of their sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated me and my father. You see, the things that showed something of God to them are what caused them to turn away. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason, without a cause. When the Spirit comes, the Counselor, the one who comes alongside, your Helper, when the Spirit comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, He will testify of me. That's what He does in our lives. The Holy Spirit of the living God in your life and mine makes Christ known. That's good news. The bad news is unless God does something more, people around you won't like that necessarily. That will not be as attractive as you wish that it was. He will testify of me. And you then, through him, must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit does his ministry through you and I. All this I have told you, chapter 16, so that you will not go astray. You will not stumble. You will not be discouraged and disappointed. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who even kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. But now Jesus is away and we, believers in Christ, are his witnesses. We, by the power of the Spirit, are his testimony. We are the ones that make him known. How will people respond to that? And what what, what our Lord is saying here is in the midst of Christmas even, in the midst of this kind of celebration, don't be discouraged when people you care about don't receive him. Continue to bear fruit. Continue in the midst of these difficulties to bear fruit that will last for eternity. That's the message of John 15. It's not about if we do certain things, then these things are going to happen. Guarantee these good responses are going to come. A likeness in Jesus others will not like. It's not personal. It's Jesus. It's been said that people like Jesus. 
it's the church they don't like. Have you heard that before? If I were to Snopes.com there, that I would, I would give that a yellow. You know what I mean by that? Snopes.com. It's one of those places, before you forward me the email about this terrible thing that's going on, go to Snopes.com and check it out. It's probably another urban legend that's circulating wildly around the Internet for the last three years. Go to Snopes.com and they'll say, green, it's true. Red, it's false. Yellow, eh, it's partly true, partly false. I would give the um, people like Jesus, it's the church they don't like, I'd give that a yellow. Because let's face it, there are things we do sometimes that are a little offensive. There are things we do in our own bubble, expecting other people without the Spirit of the living God to rise up to our expectations. That can be a turnoff. Sometimes wanting to feel better about ourselves, we will publicly look down on the sin of others when they, aside from Christ's redemption, have no hope to escape from the sin that is so entangled fallen humanity. What else could they do? The expression, I'm only human, is absolutely true if you understand that as I'm only fallen human, I'm only broken human. We do not expect those who do not know Christ as Savior, who have not been indwelt by His life-giving Spirit, we do not expect them to manifest some righteousness that would measure up to some standard. You and I know we cannot measure up ourselves. So yeah, there's things that we can do that can be a turnoff. But God's Word here says that Actually, people don't like Jesus so much as they like their idea of Jesus. Beware of a romanticized version of Jesus that we come to on Christmas that is merely a babe in a manger, meek and mild, and is not the king of the universe, the one to whom every person must give an account, the one who so loved us that he died for us, and who stands in resurrection power, and the one whom you would face if you would dare to say, no thank you. The living, glorified Lord who will return again, and whom everyone who has not in humility come to Jesus Christ as Savior and said, Lord, rescue me from my guilt. I accept your gift of Christmas, your gift of salvation, eternal life, to stand before that one and, and who would say to you, what else? The very life of the Son of God who would say, what else? It's that accountable Jesus that is not nearly as popular. You have no excuses. I haven't heard. There's no cause. He says, they hated me without a cause, without any reason. But you know the good news of that? The good side of that? That's the same basis our gospel says. It's the same basis that Christ saves us. They hated him without a cause. People today reject him without reason. And when they see him in you, they'll reject you without reason. Don't hold that against them. Jesus already warned you. Don't shut yourself off from the people who would ridicule your faith. No, they're seeing something of Christ in you. That's good news. Let it continue. That's fruit. That's fruit that the Spirit bears within us. Let it continue. But don't be surprised when it's rejected. Don't be surprised when it's not yet received and embraced. But even though they reject Him without cause, Jesus saves us. Same word. He redeems us. He justifies us freely. Same word, without cause. He declares us righteous. He makes those who believe in Him right before God without any reason in them to do it. That's what He does. 
Now, if this is true, if Jesus is the, is the perfect vine, if the Spirit from that perfect vine, vine bears the life-giving, Jesus-revealing fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit that's born as we believe in Christ is going to be the characteristics of Christ and participating in the work of Christ. If that's true, and if others will not like that, then there's three things you need to know. There's three things you need to know. First of all, it's wise to beware. He says, I tell you this because I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to be disappointed. This Christmas, I don't want you to invite all of these people and just know that this time we're going to talk about Jesus together and they're going to believe and we're going to have a whole family in faith together and our friends who haven't believed, now they're going to. I hope so. I hope some of them will. He says, don't stumble. Don't be discouraged if it happens that it doesn't all happen that way. If when what they see in Christ of you doesn't draw them, keep bearing fruit. Keep bearing fruit anyway. He says, beware. And he, and, and, and he warns us to beware in this passage of several things. He, he warns us to beware of religion. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. It's not the temple. I'm the true vine. It's not a church. It's not any other association, any place else you and I get our identity from. It's in Christ himself. It's not in our activity. It's not in our busyness. It's not in our production. It is in Christ himself. Our identity is in him. It's not in, the, in all the many great and wonderful things that God uses us to do. Our identity is in him, and it's in him we bear fruit. Beware of anything that gets in the place of that. You know, the danger today about religion is not so much an ignorance of God as an inoculation against God. Just enough to be comfortable. Just enough to you've got your church and I've got mine. When neither one of our churches is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And the only value of any church family like ours is how we make Christ known. Beware, even of religion. Jesus looked at that temple and he said, I'm the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Beware of the world. He talks about the world here. The world will hate. The world will reject Christ. Beware of how, where we seek our approval, where we seek our esteem and status, because we would downplay our faith. We would duck down and stay low and maybe not be noticed. Well, this is a good time to be noticed. Even when they don't like it, it's a good time to be noticed. It's a good time to be known as a Christian. You don't have to be antagonistic about it, chewing out the clerk in the store because they wish you happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. You don't have to get ornery about it. You'll get enough trouble without being an ornery Christian seeking persecution, okay? But when they've been told to greet you with happy holidays instead because they're worried about offending somebody, then what you can say in reply is, and I hope you have a Merry Christmas and find the real joy of Christmas in Jesus. If you want to be so bold, get a little preach. I don't know if you want to go that far, but just wish them a Merry Christmas back in all the joy of the Lord God sent, whatever you want to say, but respond back in a way that brings Christmas forward, brings the sun back into the holiday without chewing them out for not doing it. The world... Always going back to the Roman Empire, there was a public faith, private faith. And private faith is fine. You hear that today, don't you? It's not new. 
private faith, public faith balance was true in the Roman world, and your private faith was just fine as long as it didn't interfere with public faith. And the public faith today is one, is, is one of wide open tolerance, except for anything that runs against the wide open, everything goes tolerance, right? If you've got a Savior who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, today that sounds intolerant. Today that sounds like, how are you so proud that your answer is the only answer? It isn't my answer. It's God's answer. But it doesn't mean they'll like it. But still, as, as graciously as I can, if it's true, I better tell them. I better tell them. As, as nice as it would be if all options worked, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that's why at Christmas we need to focus on him. We beware of ourselves. We are easily, easily distracted, easily lulled by our own performance away from presence, abiding in Christ. My identification is with Him. My identity is with Him. Who I am that matters is not by what I do. It is because of God who saved me. We are easily lulled out of expectancy. If it's true that when they see Christ in me, they will not like it, and that's what Jesus said, then why bother? I'm not expecting anything to happen. The amazing thing is, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the life-giving spirit that flows through the vine. This is the life-giving spirit that flows into you as a branch, that spirit of God to not only be with you, but in you, Jesus said. And who knows what he will do? Who knows what will happen? Who knows how, in the midst of a bitter climate, God will yet bear fruit into eternity? That's my hope in every Christmas season. That's my hope out of Easter. That's my hope all year long that God by His Spirit would do those things that I could never expect He would do by me. He would do by you. But this is the Spirit of the living God. Oh, He'll bear the fruit that's the likeness of Christ, but in the midst of a bitter climate, He will bear fruit that will last into eternity. You know, I want to say just briefly that in the midst of that harsh client, harsh environment, in the midst of that bitter climate, we need each other. We had a, a child dedication, and part of that child dedication is not merely a charge to that family. It's a charge to this family. Why? Because we need, we need each other. There are no lone rangers in, the, in, in God's family. You, you may think, well, look at Paul. Paul went out and did all these things. Paul had his Barnabas, and then he had his Silas, and then he had his, his Timothy and his Titus. Paul had his church of Antioch and the church of Philippi and many others that supported him. He had Luke and Philemon, etc. Alone we may stumble, and Jesus says, I warn you that you don't falter, that you don't stumble. We need each other. We need encouragement. That's why... In, here at the church, you will find over and over different places, you'll find worship, grow, serve. Worshiping together, growing together, serving together. It's easy for us to be too busy. I'm serving here and there and there and there. Maybe we need to be worshiping together. Maybe we need to be in one place where we are growing together with other believers. It might be one of the, one of the Sunday school classes right here on campus on Sunday morning if that works for your schedule. It might be in a growth group where you're connected with a smaller group of growing believers, but you need to be connected with others and growing together. But don't do them all. I don't know anybody here that's in growth groups three or four nights a week. 
That would be silly. But find a place where you're growing with other growing believers. We need each other. That's why. A place to be serving, a place to be growing, and this place to be worshiping together. We need each other. Finally, we're not on our own. Let me remind you back again. This was a verse that's special to me because it was given to Julie and I by some veteran missionaries who were finishing 40 years of mission service in the country of Italy. I, I asked them, what one thing would you tell us as those who are exploring God's call into missionary service? We were just beginning to sense a calling at that time. And this was the verse he gave us. In chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go. That you should go. I, I chose you, Jesus says, to go. But not only that, I chose you to bear fruit. And Jesus says, I chose you not only to go, people around you, and to bear fruit there, showing the likeness of Christ and carrying out the ministry of Christ, that telling others of redemption, but that your fruit would remain. Your fruit would remain. And that as you are going as a branch, abiding in the vine of Christ, as you are depending on Him and going and bearing fruit, He says, ask what you will. I was thrilled when I was in the men's group this Wednesday night. As I was listening, all around the room, every guy that was there, there was probably 20 guys, every one of them had a, had a prayer request that they shared. And over and over and over again, their prayer requests were along the lines of spiritual import. They, sometimes they were, they were pushed out of circumstances. And that happens, doesn't it? Our prayer is, is, is pressed by the circumstance we find ourselves in, and easily we fall back to God changes circumstance. Sometimes that's exactly how we should pray. What I heard these guys asking, in the midst of this circumstance, would you give grace and uphold me or uphold my wife or help us in the midst of this or cause God to use this in a certain way? They were praying for people they were inviting on Friday night. People that are going to be coming to Christmas jazz. Over and over again, I heard these men praying right along the line of John 15, 16. Whatever you ask, the Father, in my name, he will give it. We're not in this alone. You know, those, those, that missionary couple that I told you entrusted this verse to us. They said, you lean on this. This was a couple. They spent 40 years. Paul and Margaret McKnight, you have never heard of them. They served for 40 years. They came home. There was no big fanfare. There was no ticker tape parade. Well, they weren't home yet. But he said in 40 years of ministry, church planting, radio ministry, door-to-door evangelism, 40 years in a, in a very religious place, but very little personal trust in Jesus as one's Savior. He said in 40 years of ministry, I could count on two hands the people I know for sure, received Christ as Savior from ministry. Well, there's a lot of people that he never knew. There's a lot of people that they didn't know how the Lord continued to water and bring fruit from the seed that they had planted. But you see, it's not about the results that we see. You go. You bear fruit. You extend out to somebody whether it seems they're receptive or not, you just keep giving yourself away in that Christ kind of sacrifice for the sake of others. You know what happens? You will go. You will bear fruit. And that fruit will remain because of 
the school of the living God. I ask you to use our bulletin to pray this week. I'd like us to just pause and do that now, that in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of so many things that seem to make this climate against us, let's ask God to do what we don't expect. Let's, God, let's ask God to do what he's, he's promised he would do, though. Let's pray. Let's do that now. Pray that God, in the midst of this difficulty, will bear fruit for eternity. Heavenly Father, would you do that? Lord, there will be a hundred reasons that a hundred people might not be able to make it on Friday night for Christmas jazz, where they would hear music and a word that would speak of Jesus the Savior. Lord, would you prevent that? Would you guard against that? Lord, would you somehow attend in those circumstances that those who have been invited and those who have said, yes, we want to come, that you would bring them out and that you would open ears and hearts to receive a blessing that night, that your spirit would speak your truth. Father, we pray for the family connections that happen this time of year. We pray, Lord, for ways that we might reach out to a neighbor or somebody around us, colleagues from work, maybe just sharing a Christmas greeting or, or some sort of a treat. Lord, would you use that? Would you open a way? Would you provide an opportunity, Lord, make a conversation, and out of that, Father, would you let the Lord Jesus be known? And Father, work against that propensity that is in the human heart to run away from you. Father, would you, for those people that we care about, instead, by your Spirit, draw them to yourself? That's what you said you would do. And Lord, that is what, in the name of Christ, we ask you to do. And all who agree said,